This is Mindframe, a podcast of mind-bending science fiction. As always, I am David Moten. I am the author of Mindframe, and I am the narrator of all of the chapters. And sitting in the studio with me is Brent Van Tassel, who is the producer and the partner in crime on the podcast from its inception. This chapter that you're about to listen to is chapter one, and it is the beginning of sort of the five main characters. The next five chapters will rotate between the primary five characters, and the first one being a woman named Josephine. And you're about to hear the story of a widow, um, someone who is processing the, the death of her husband and a great tragedy. It's the story of loss. It's a story of rebuilding. And it's a story of uh, making new friendship. And it's all set in the uh, stately halls of a hotel that they simply referred to as the Old Dame. So give this one a listen. Um, I think you will enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, um, please consider giving us some support at patreon.com backslash mindframe podcast. We have a variety of tiers and different benefits that you would get from it, including the sit down episodes. And I'll say a little bit more about those after the chapter. And also we are a Podbelly original. And if you want to learn more about podcasting, you can go to podbelly.com to find out some tips and have some tutorials on um, how you can create your own podcast, whether whether it's fiction like this one or whether it's uh, interviews or, or whatever type of podcast strikes your fancy. Um, and you can find that at podbelly.com. So without further ado, let's get into chapter one. I hope you enjoy the beginning of the tale of Josephine. Chapter one, Josephine, circa 2011. From the outside, the old dame looked as though she could be lived in again visited by weekend guests and laughter and nice wine pairings. However, the inside belied that truth, and instead it revealed a haunt that was burned, battered, tattered, and frayed. The dame proved that a thing's appearances, its outside and its insides, were two truths which never need align. Josephine intimately knew this. Sitting on the tailgate of Teddy's truck, she sipped down the bad bottom half of a tepid beer, Josephine looked at the construction that had been done over the past year, and she understood that the way things appeared had very little to do with the way things were. A coat of paint hid burn marks. Makeup hid frown lines. The light of noon hid terrible moonlit shadows. Josephine had to move on. She had come to terms with the fire. She had come to terms with the death and the psychological trauma of it all. She was strong and determined and not afraid to rebuild or to live out here alone on the mountain. Or, at least that's what she convinced Teddy of when he came with his crew and set to work with saws and lumber and white tubs of plasters and goops. Josephine would pull her hair back and force herself not to cry for a while before they arrived so her eyes weren't puffy. She'd put on clean clothes and a twinkle that looked presentable. Sturdy, but just like the dame... Josephine's insides were withered and scorched. Yet a smile here, a lie there, and the two truths never aligned. The snow was soon to start for the year, to blanket the mountain in serenity. It would be a time for deep roots to regenerate. A winter would be good for Josephine. Plus, the outer shell of the old dame was finally patched up. A new roof, new windows, doors, actual doors instead of flaps of construction plastic like a membrane and some birth canal of sawdust and power tools that needed to be breached in order to breathe fresh air. Doors that were hung in frames. Josephine thought the old dame looked like a healed burn victim she'd known back at the university, 
He was burned badly in Afghanistan and was now attending classes while he recovered, medically released from active duty. The guy had fresh skin, raw and pink and virginal compared to the weathered and wrinkled stuff that they hadn't regrafted. She thought of him sometimes while inspecting the dame. Patches of particle board, OSB, and new sheets of sighting were all hung beside the other parts of century-old skin that the fire never managed to lick. More than once, Josephine thought about leaving, letting the dame face the weather and elements alone to deteriorate into a hulking old mansion that kids visited to prove their virility and heroism. Teens always needed a place in which to spray paint walls, screw, and drink stolen beers, but her uncle Alfie convinced her otherwise. The dame was a historic place, a place important to an entire community, a place important to Guillermo. To abandon it was to abandon Guillermo. Josephine could sometimes hear him at night, Guillermo. The landline would ring, or at least she thought she heard it behind the rush of water when she would shower, though there were no longer phone service connected to it. Or her cell phone would issue a text alert faintly from the other room, the one that belonged only to him, a snippet of the Ella Fitzgerald they danced to at their wedding. But nothing was on the phone when she picked it up. Or she'd hear his laugh distant in between the pulse of power tools, a quick call of Joe from the other wing in the old hotel, a tone implying a guest needed new linens, a minor emergency to which Josephine would send service. But it was all nonsense. Her mind made noises that her heart longed to hear. The human psyche had an amazing capacity for rewriting reality in order to create a world more suitable than the factual one. At least that's what Uncle Alfie said. Josephine told Uncle Alfie that the sounds were her mind gone wild out here in the all-alone of the mountain, a psychic residue, simply Guillermo's vibe echoing through the long halls, his ghost sounds, just like his body, never escaping that burning wing of the dame last year. Guillermo was but a void in Josephine's neural network, an absence where connections had long been built, a null space where electricity longed to flow through creases and lobes. It's pure imagination. It's not like it's his ghost, his actual ghost, Josephine told Alfie all those months ago when construction had just begun and the old man came for a visit. Of course it's his ghost. What do you think a ghost is, Joe? asked Alfie. It's exactly what you just described. It's noises where no noises be. It's paths in your brain that lead to dead ends. It's rhythms in your heart that don't dare allow themselves to beat. He was stroking his beard like a deranged man, testing a scorched, exposed wall stud by violently shaking it with his free hand and summoning more physical strength than Josephine ever credited the old man as having. But that was back at the waxing of a stormy summer. Now Josephine was at the summer's wane. She wished Alfie was here today, and always, but he had his own work to do, ever traveling, coming to visit her whenever he was in this corner of the world on business. So at night, it was Joe and her dogs, Muffet and Porthos, the only two other living beings who survived the fire, and Guillermo's ghost. Some days, at least, Teddy would come with his two-man crew. They were good company, even if they didn't get a chance to talk due to work. She'd hear their conversations, a mix of pneumatic hammers and air compressors with electric saws as punctuation issued from another room. Up the hall, a different wing. It was the same language that Josephine spoke all day, the language of rebuilding as she did her own reconstruction projects around the old dame. She was good at tile work and flooring, she and Teddy discovered, so her efforts tended to be in the guest suite's bathrooms, bent on her knees all day, busy with trowel and grout. 
Teddy's two men, Manny and Junior, were Filipino and only spoke Tagalog, which Teddy had picked up after several years working in a shipyard in Manila when he dropped out of high school. Teddy was an American and thus spoke English, but he spoke seldom, always busy with a project or on his cellular phone calling his secretary Kathy about a different job being worked or some other crew. And Muffet and Porthos, well, they only spoke dog, so for the most part, Joe had nobody to speak English with. But as Alfie promised her, if you live alone, you can never complain about the company. Josephine had been a recluse since she was a little girl. That's why she talked Guillermo into purchasing this hotel. Though it was far too large for such a thing, Joe and Guillermo branded the old dame as a bed and breakfast and had it listed on those websites to attract a certain type of clientele. The hotel's history was rich with peaks and valleys, having been built as a sanitarium in the 1800s, a place where the wealthy would retreat for health in the summer. Massages and colonics, radical diets and hot spas, the dame was originally a knockoff of the place W.K. Kellogg had built in Michigan. In World War II, the dame became a mental hospital for shell-shocked soldiers and then shut down immediately after the Japanese instrument of surrender in 1945. It reopened in 1949 as a booming summer hotel thanks to post-war prosperity, illimitable hiking trails, and bucolic Lake Ikunga. In the autumn, she was a destination for suburbanite ex-GIs to come and watch the leaves turn red with sweethearts. She was a place for skiing and ice skating in the winter. She went on like this for decades. Then a recession, a collapse. The dame fell half apart in the 1980s, tried to reboot after 9-11, but never gained traction as the economy malformed. Josephine knew the place from childhood visits, saw it for sale online while messing with Google Maps some random sleepless night, and had Guillermo purchase it with his ample wealth within three months. Guillermo was close to retirement and tired of his life in real estate, and Josephine was two decades as younger. She had always wanted to retreat from the big city, and Guillermo thought that was just about the best idea he'd ever heard in his entire life. The dame sounded like the perfect place, a place where Josephine could live in isolation, but still work a little to serve interesting B&B guests. Guillermo could still retire, and they could live and love and be with each other. The old dame was huge, so when the two of them opened it as a bed and breakfast, they always kept two wings closed off, easy to do since one was decorated for winter, one for autumn, and one which doubled for summer and spring. And they tended a smaller guest list so they could rely on themselves and a small group of occasional locals to work the place. If they opened the whole hotel, they'd have needed a large staff, which meant health insurance, payroll, filing wicked taxes, and also meant an end to Josephine's self-imposed isolation up on the mountain. There were only ever a handful of guests, just enough to keep Josephine entertained with new recipes to prepare for them, enthralled with nice dinner conversations, and busy tending on borders here and there. But that ended a year ago. A forever ago. Supposed to snow here in a bit, Teddy said, breaking Josephine's ruminations. Teddy finally slid his phone into a leather sheath that sat on his belt like a totem beside a beat-up old utility knife he wore. He picked up his corona light, untouched but now warmed by the wan light of a late autumn sun, and caught up with Joe's beverage level with a few quick gulps. Ah, he hissed, the suds obviously burning good on the way down. At least she's ready for snow, Josephine replied. She is ready for snow. Yep, Teddy laughed and took another drink. He ignored his phone as it twirted an alert. A bird called in response, not knowing the difference between the real and the virtual. 
The roof is sturdy. She'll take the weight of the snow, and as of today, all the windows are sealed. And in case of an emergency leak, room 7 in the autumn wing is home to a metric shit-ton of plastic sheeting. The dame makes it through the rains now, so the snow shouldn't prove to be a problem. At least not till spring thaw. We need to get the shipments of all the interior materials brought up, though. Soonest. Interior materials? Joe asked. Carpeting, the rest of the tiles, more drywall, light fixtures, bathtubs, you name it. We don't want to wrestle a big rig up here when the ice hits, so we should make some major purchases and do several runs up the mountain in the next week. If we have everything up here already, me and Manny and Junior will be able to come up in my work truck whenever the roads are clear this winter, and in the meantime, you can tinker away as much as you like. My uncle thinks we should focus all of our efforts on the summer wing, Joe said, so we can open part of the dame up again by next season, leave the rest until we can get to it. You know, instead of a single wing, we could have the whole place up by summer season if you'd just let me get a good couple of crews up here. Lord knows I've got the manpower, and you've got the money. The money. She joked about it to Teddy, more than she could ever spend and always more coming. Wave after wave over the past year, money just arrived. There were multiple insurance policies for the building, some strange money that came from the state to help preserve the dame as an historical monument, and then Guillermo's retirement was cashed out, and of course the life insurance, but most of all, Guillermo's considerable investments and real estate earnings were now issued in her name. Not that he ever kept it a secret from her, but she never cared. Josephine knew her husband had been well off, but not full-on rich. Josephine, only in the middle of her 30s, was now a multimillionaire. She just mailed all the checks to their money guy back in the city and ignored them. Though when she did log in to check her balance, she always felt a bit sleazy having that many zeros attached to her final sum. Other people were barely recovering from the recession and she had more money than a hundred Josephines could spend. It didn't sit well with her. It was inequitable and felt anachronistic somehow. Barbaric, the amassing of wealth. She could spend some of that money and have the dame up again in months, not years, except she wanted to do it herself. Plus, she trusted Teddy in a way she'd never trusted anyone who did construction before. Most contractors seemed like hucksters, sham artists, people who said plum when they didn't mean plum, people who let their crew do all the work while they drove off in Aloha shirts and golfed. But not Teddy. He couldn't come up the mountain often because he had so many other jobs, but when he did come, he came to work. On many occasions, Teddy worked for hours on something, two days on the hearth project, just to tear it all down because he didn't like the way the lines matched up or couldn't get the end result to look just so. He was a perfectionist. On many occasions, over many a warm beer, he said that he was honored to work on the stately old dame. I'd do it for free if I could, he joked. And then he actually did work for free, just as often as not, driving up the mountain with Manny and Junior on a holiday to restore a widow's walk or install some vintage shutters they brought with them. He'd give Josephine an invoice every now and then, and she'd mail it to her money guy who would apparently pay the bill. She seldom checked what she'd just pay for, and when she did, it seemed far cheaper than it should have. Over the past year, Josephine came to call Teddy a good friend, her only friend, in fact, with her living out here in the wilds, though she'd never tell her dogs that. The sun started a dip below Mallow Hill, making the sky turn the gossamer gray of a lake fish. The trunks of the great trees could still be seen lit in a halo of afternoon photons, but 
Soon the trees would be skeletal outlines of themselves, then just shadows, then part of the night, part of the universe, a black that spread from ground to heaven, profound and only pierced now and then by the hustle of stars. There would be no moon tonight, so the sky would be supernaturally dark. Lake Akunga, often eager to bounce the moon back at herself and light the place up a little bit, would probably sleep through till morning. Just Josephine, Muffet, and Porthos in the darkness. And, of course, Guillermo's ghost. She thought there should be others. There should be more ghosts, one for each life the fire took. Multiple souls there should be, wandering the halls. Multiple choking, coughing, burning souls. Not just Guillermo. There should be others. Should be other what's? Teddy asked. Oh, just nothing. Just thinking aloud, Josephine said, finishing the last drink of her beer. A dull, gross swallow she planned to forego, but drank it out of embarrassment once she realized she'd been speaking out loud. Muffet sniffed the tall autumn grasses, and Porthos rolled around in something sure to be foul-smelling, approximating pure dog rapture. They both looked at Josephine longingly, hoping she'd stand up and decide to head down to the lake to throw sticks. Disappointed in her lack of movement, but ultimately willing to settle for jazzing around in the grass. Maybe Josephine would never fix the whole dame. Maybe it should stay empty, a place for the ghosts to sleep. One wing would be more than enough for when she opened up again, but no, that wouldn't do at all. There was something deeply wrong with the dame as she stood currently. The dame was burned and wrecked and empty. Josephine knew that she alone bore the right and responsibility. The old dame couldn't restore herself, and she deserved more than to sit idle in the shadows of Mallow Hill, filled with nothing but the dead, two dogs, and burnt curtains. Josephine grabbed two more bottles from the cardboard 12-pack. She handed them to Teddy, and he twisted the cap off one and handed it back to her. Hypothetically, Josephine asked, what would it take to get the dame fully ready by summer? All three wings? All three wings. Funny you should ask, Teddy said. He stood and pulled his sketch pad from the cab of the truck. He flipped through architectural sketches, notes, and columns of prices until he found a page that he'd already prepared. It was a work plan and budget for restoring the dame by summer. After all, the lariat is closing, as they say. He set the pad on her lap, and she instantly knew that the majestic old lady would soon fly again, fulfill its mission to the world. The old dame would be healed, even if Josephine herself was not. So what will happen next to Josephine? You'll have to stick around for a couple chapters to get back to her story arc. Um, as always, please visit us on mindframepodcast.com. If you go to our primary website, you can find merchandise, everything from hats to socks to t-shirts to coffee mugs. And you can also find books. My original book, uh, 181 Pine, the re-release of my previously titled Chama New Mexico novel. It is the first in a trilogy of a different science fiction world than this one. That's available for sale um, on mindframepodcast.com. And you can also find the various books of Zach Smith, who is the the host of the sit down episodes um, that we do after each of these. 
And speaking of the sit-downs, if you are interested in listening to uh, us talk about the content of the individual chapters, that is one of the benefits you get from being a Patreon, where you go to patreon.com backslash mindframepodcast. And these first three, just like a drug dealer, the first three are free. Um, so uh, the chapter one sit-down is the final free one that we're giving out to everyone. But if you enjoy the sit-downs and you like to hear us talk about the mysteries of mindframe, um, that becomes, starting with chapter two, a, a Patreon bonus. So go there um, and support us and get your sit-downs. Um, as I said at the top, we are a Podbelly original, and you can go to podbelly.com to find a whole network of great podcasts that have a wide range in topics such as Paranormal Punchers and Nerds on Topic, two of them that we think that you would particularly enjoy. Um, look for contests. We will be posting contests and uh, various uh, chances to win all sorts of stuff, whether it's uh, my original book or whether it's t-shirts or, or whatever it may be. But we'll be making announcements and doing things like that through our social media. And our social media, unfortunately, has a range of different uh, uh, contact points. So on Facebook, you can find us at Mindframe Podcast. On Instagram, we are The Mindframe Podcast. At Twitter, people got to it first, so we are The Mindframe Pod. And on Reddit, we are r slash mindframe podcast. So whatever your flavor of social media is, please check us out on one of those. Like, subscribe, join, um, and comment. Join in on the conversation as we talk about things on the sit down. If you think you piece together a mystery, if you have questions, that is the place to air them. Um, if you have questions for a chapter for upcoming sit downs, that's a great place to post questions. And we'll be getting to those um, as we get to sit downs. Even if we're on sit down number 11, if you have a question about chapter one posted on social media we'll be watching and we'll be happy to backtrack and talk about previous chapters and so forth so um it's the best place to engage with us to talk to us to ask us questions and to help build our mind frame community so um having said that i will bid you adieu for another session and as always remember the lariat is closing <laughs>